This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, I can officially say that it's Christmas time. Come on. How, how many have already put up their Christmas tree? All the campuses wave at me. That's, that's quite a few of you. are doing pretty good, most of you. How many have actually bought all of your presents so far? We just want to pray. Okay, you guys need prayer. There's, there's people throughout the congregation. There's something, maybe you can lay hands on us or whatever it might be. But, uh, you know, this is a season uh, that brings a lot of mixed emotions for uh, people. Uh, for a lot of people today, this season celebrates a, a great opportunity for family and friends, and it's a time of joyous celebration. I know for others, it's a challenge. It's a difficult time. Maybe it's a real struggling time. Maybe you've lost a loved one, or maybe there's something that's gone on with a, the home life, and maybe there's a separation that's taken place, and it brings different emotions. We understand that. But you know, on top of all of that, we've got thrown on all of the emotion, all the pressures that this season brings. You know, presents and food and parties and travel and lots of fudge, hopefully with walnuts. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that goes on in this season. And we've got to be careful because we can allow all of the added pressures to life uh, have an impact in our lives during this season. And and it's so important for us as we enter this season to just stop and pause and make sure that we're making room for Jesus. And that's a lot easier said than done. And I understand that the way that we interpret or understand Christmas says a lot about the way that we live. Christmas itself and the meaning of Christmas and our discernment of that has a great bearing on how we discern life itself. It's really that important to understand and to discern and to ponder the reason for the season. And you know, there were a couple kids that were asked this question, you know, what does Christmas mean to you? And so I wanted to just take a moment to share a couple humorous, fun things that kids said about this particular season. The first question was asked of kids, uh, what happened at the birth of Jesus? And there was one little uh, boy, his name was Jay, said this. Well, there were these three wise men who brought Jesus presents of gold, Frankenstein, and Smurfs. And um, silver, but honestly, he says, Jesus would have preferred a bunch of wrestling toys. So that would be one child's perspective. Another little girl was asked, Ruby, you know, what do you uh, think happened at the birth? And she said, well, at his birth, there were oxen and donkeys and three camels, three birds that were all white and three cats that were all black. And she says, I even think that there were some mice or some hamsters and other creepy things around the manger at that time. And so be her perspective. There's another question asked, who was the angel Gabriel? And Aaron, six-year-old little boy, says, well, the angel Gabriel is a big white fairy. And he helped Mary and Joseph look after the baby. And I bet he would be a cool babysitter, better than Mrs. Stilson, that mean babysitter of mine for sure. (laughs) He had a perspective of Gabriel there. Eric, a five-year-old, says, well, Gabriel was a huge, fat, feathery angel whose favorite thing was to fly around all day. He didn't do very much. That's awesome. Catherine, an eight-year-old little girl, said, Gabriel was a herald angel. 
He was a boy, but he's always played by girls in the school plays. And then Tony, little five-year-old boy, says, well, he's the one who brought Jesus a crown when he was a baby. But it was a really, really, really small crown. It was much smaller than my mom's toilet seat. <laughs> right, okay. Thank you, Tony. Um, where was Jesus born? The little, little boy uh, says this. He says, a long way from Kentucky. He says, way over by Bethlehem's, um, which is right by England. That's good. He got his geography down. And then who was Jesus's parents? How about this? Michael, the four-year-old says this. Well, that's easy. Jesus's mommy and daddy are called Jovis and Marley. It's a new rock group that's out. I just heard about it. Debbie, a five-year-old little girl said this. Mary and God, question mark. I think that sounds right, but isn't that kind of a little weird to you? You know, as, as humorous as those thoughts might be, the reality is, is that many of us can misinterpret or we can forget really what the meaning of Christmas is. And I want to just say this again, that what we believe about Christmas greatly impacts what we believe about life itself. It's more than a baby in a manger. It's more than the songs that we sing and the passing of presents. There's something so paramount. There's something so significant to this time. I'm thankful that we celebrate it every year because it reminds us once again of the critical importance to this particular season and what Jesus actually did. And you know, the reality is, is if we don't recognize the reason that he came, we won't recognize the reason why we live. It really is that important. And although you're here today and maybe you understand the idea that Jesus was God and that he came down here to pave a way for us to have a relationship with God by dying for our sins and rising again, and maybe we understand this is where it started. Come on, if we're honest with ourselves, just like everyone else, we can get caught up, we can get distracted in the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season. And so I want to make it our aim is as we move into these next couple of weeks together as a church family, that together we would just make a, a statement, a proclamation, a confession that together we are going to make room for Jesus in our lives. And, and I want to just say this, and I'm going to put it up on the screen, and I want you to, to get this. This is my prayer every morning during December. I want to make it your prayer. And I want you to read this uh, together with me right here on the screen, all campuses. Would you read this together? Come on. I am making room for Jesus to be my first, to be my all, my everything. It's not just a simple, great prayer. Come on, Jesus, be my first. Be my all. Be my everything. That's our prayer for you during the next couple weeks as we celebrate Christmas together as a family. And this morning, I want to do something that would be a tradition in our family. We actually read the Christmas story. 
It's 19 verses that we're going to read this morning, but I never get tired of the story. And because you hear me a lot, I thought there would be someone that would be much more beautiful and better to read the story. So I want my wife to come forward, and she's going to read the story for you. Isn't that a cool idea? Come on. So if you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and she's going to read this for you. Come on. Okay. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, they came, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. That's awesome. Put your hands together for her. That was great. Thank you, baby. You know, that story never gets old for me. I mean, when you really begin to unpack all of the truths and the principles in there, it it says so much about life. It says so much about us. It says so much about God and his commitment to us and how much he loves us. What he was willing to do to leave that to come down to die for this. It's such a profound story. We could spend all year unpacking the nuggets that are in this story, but I want to focus this morning just on a couple thoughts that came out in this scripture. I want to talk about this idea of of Mary and about the different people in the story. And there there were some that made room for Jesus, and there's a lot that didn't. And what we find when we look at this story is that there's a, there's a lot of us that are like the people in the story. We don't want to admit it. It's always the other person. 
But there's really four groups of people in this story that I want to talk about that didn't make room for Jesus. My prayer is that you and I would honestly assess our hearts, our life, and that if there's any adjustments that need to be made, that this morning we would make this commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to move some stuff out and make sure that I make Jesus my first, my all, and my everything. And so when you look at the story, the first thing that you see is there was a, an innkeeper in the story. He didn't make room for Jesus. I understand that business was at an all-time high. He was making lots of money. There were hundreds of people that were coming into the town because of the census. They had to pay their taxes. And obviously, the slow-moving pregnant lady got into town a little bit late, and there's no room for her. Anybody pregnant at all? You understand what I'm saying? So she got there a little bit late, and ultimately what happened was is that uh, there was no room for her in the end. It could have been that they were just full. It could have been that maybe... Uh, there was an issue uh, with her, with their social economic status or whatever it might be. But we find that the innkeeper at this time, he was caught up in the enticements and the cares of this world. And he missed the opportunity to have Jesus himself into his house or into the inn. And then there was King Herod. King Herod was much different than the innkeeper in that he was a egotistical, highly educated, political control freak. He was a guy that didn't want to relinquish control. He was so concerned about losing something that he missed gaining something. And so what we find here in this story is that he wanted to kill all of the firstborn boys under the age of two. He, he wanted to make sure that there was no chance that anybody could take control from him. So he lived away like a lot of us. We don't want to give up control of our lives. Then there was the religious uh, leaders. Listen, they had been praying for centuries that the Messiah would come. They knew the scriptures. They knew the prophecies. But here's their problem. They had a lot of truth, but no heart. They had religion, not relationship. So much so that even when Jesus was born, they wouldn't even take time to see if that was actually the Messiah. And then we find, obviously, the town people. There were 500 to 1,000 people that lived in Bethlehem at that time. Maybe two to 300 people, history would tell us, that were visiting to pay their taxes. And not one of them even knew that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, was right there for them to answer all of their challenges and trials. And so when we look at this story, can we, can we ask ourselves this morning a real honest question? This is just between you and him. Where are you in this story? Do you find yourself in this season or maybe season of life? You're so caught up and busy doing life that you forgot to live. You're so busy trying to make things happen that you miss life itself and the meaning of life. 
And it may, maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of like the Herod. I mean, I, I kind of want God in my life, but I'm not willing to give up this area. I'm not willing to give up this part of my life. He can't be involved in my finances or my job or my thought life, whatever it might be. You're going, I want to love him, but on my terms, I'm still in control. It's a dangerous place to be. Maybe you're like the religious people and you say, man, I've been doing church for years and I can quote the scriptures. And in fact, if you looked at me this morning, I was singing the songs. In fact, I even had my hands up. I mean, it was awesome. But inside, you're just going through the motions, kind of living a, a religious life, if I could say that. Maybe you're here this morning, you're just saying, I didn't even know that Jesus was an option, like the townspeople. Wherever you're at this morning, and this is, this is the whole point for this series, God, help us to make room for him. Let's stop. Let's assess. Let's think about our lives. Think about what is going on here and recognize that maybe there's some adjustments that we need to make in our own heart and our own lives so that we can ultimately live the life that God intended us to live. The good news about this story is my wife read it this morning. It finishes talking about a person that did make room for Jesus in her heart, and it was Mary. And it says that she actually pondered everything in her heart. She was the one that made room. And, and Luke 2.19 says that she treasured up all of these things. I mean, I, I wonder what that meant where it says. She treasured up all of these things and she pondered them in her heart. And as we look at this story, we recognize that this word ponder, it's, it's, a, it's a unique word and it's a very important word. It means this, that Mary stopped. She pushed aside the distractions, all of the pressures, all of the circumstances, all of the lies, and she weighed deeply these thoughts. It was with deep emotion and with deep heart where she just, she stopped just to recognize everything that was happening. She recognized a couple things she recognized that right in front of her wasn't a newborn baby, but it was the Messiah. That she was the virgin that was prophesied for thousands of years. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm her. And not only was I carrying a baby, but I was carrying the son of the living God. And imagine that as that baby was placed into the manger. It's, and again, some of you, or most of you, all of you ladies would know this, that when you, when you have a child, it's just like you're pondering. It's like, oh my gosh, it's my, my baby. It's just like everything else stops. I mean, I mean, you don't think about anything else. It's just all about the baby. That's, you're just pondering. It's just like forget everything else. It's just my baby. That's what ponder means. You, you come to this place, and this, this was Mary. She was not pondering her baby. She was pondering the reality that she had in front of her, Jesus. And can we learn something from this story? 
And this is what God wants us to see. We need to stop the clutter, the white noise, the business. All of the challenges that we face that continue to rob us of life itself. And just ponder Jesus. Ponder him. Make him your aim. Make him your life. Make him your savior. Make him your first. Make him your all. Make him your everything. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with this series, just saying, I want to ponder Jesus. I want to stop and think about where would I be without him? Have we ever stopped and thought about that lately? Just going, okay, I would be in hell or prison. But because of him, I'm here. I mean, I think about the times that he brought healing into my life. And how many days have you been thankful for his forgiveness and grace? How about every day? Come on. And so all of a sudden you begin to ponder that the reason why you're blessed and the reason why your life is the way that it is is because you chose to ponder him with your all. And when you do that, you find that life goes the way that it's supposed to go simply because you recognize He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And so what we see in this story is is that Mary models to us this thought. Is that our hearts were created as a home for Jesus. It's it's meant to be the dwelling place. Let, Let me go as far as to say this. When you gave your life to Christ, you gave him the deed to your heart. I'll go as far as to say this. Your heart is no longer yours. It's his. Listen, it's his home. It's not like you can occasionally invite him. Hey, why don't you come into my heart and today I kind of feel good so I'm going to pray. No, listen, it's his home. It's, It's his heart. Your life is no longer your own. You were bought with a price. Your heart was meant to be an ever-present dwelling place. He doesn't want to visit. He wants to habitate. He wants to live there. He wants to move in. He wants you to give him the deed. It's not just like, hey, why don't you come over and hang out in my pantry today? It's just like, no, this is your house. Can I just be a part of you being in my house? And and this is what what Mary is showing us in this thought. Listen to what Jesus said later on. John 14, 23, he says this. If anyone loves me. He always had these little simple statements. You go, well, of course, Jesus. Come on, how many love Jesus? Come on, all campuses, how many love Jesus? I'm glad you're clapping now. You may not like the second part. He says, "If if anyone loves me, he will keep my word will obey it. And my father will love him, listen, and he will come to him and make our home with him. It's not like he's renting. He's not just visiting. He's making his home in your heart. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Christ will make his home in your hearts. As you trust him, it says, then your roots will go down in God's love and will keep you strong. 
He's saying if, if you make your heart his home, you'll begin to experience his love that will actually make you strong and vibrant and full. And so many times, listen, we live our life struggling, barely making advice because we don't allow him into our home. We can sing and pray and believe and do all those things, but listen, it's gotta be, no, you've gotta come and be in my heart. This is, this is your home. And what Paul is saying, when you do that, there's something that comes upon you, the love of God. It begins to wash you and transform you and cleanse you and give you hope and peace and faith and joy. And he says, that's why. He says, you'll be strong if you do that. Why? Because you recognize your heart is his home. You made room. You got out of the way. You gave him the deed. He moved in as long as you live. That's what he's trying to help us understand. And so during this season, I want to ask us to just consider some, some very simple, practical things that um, we all would know, but if we're real honest, maybe we don't live the way we believe in these areas. So as we, as we enter this season, let, let, let's just kind of dial in here and say, okay, if I'm going to make my heart his home, how can I do that practically? What, what are some things that I can do to make that reality? Here's the first thing that I put down here, and these are, these are some random thoughts, but I think they're very helpful. You want to make room in your heart for Jesus? Start by giving him your everything. Give him everything. Listen, Jesus wants to be Lord of all or Lord not at all. You look throughout Scripture, what you find is those that followed him gave up everything. Luke 5.11, it says that when Jesus says, hey, come and follow me, it says, then they left everything and they followed him. Everything. See, we, we don't like that in American Christianity. It's like, no, listen, I come to God on my terms. Don't push these kind of radical discipleship thoughts on me. I, I just am saying what the Bible says. He says, listen, those that are unwilling to give up everything, he says in Mark, he says, you can't be my disciple. He, listen, sometimes we treat him as savior, fire insurance, but we don't want to treat him as Lord. Lord means that you give up everything. You no longer have rights. He has all rights. And this, this is hard to grasp. We don't like this. We're kind of like King Herod here. We just go, no, I want some control in this part of the relationship. That's the way I do life. And I'm just going to do relationship this way. So I can give you a couple things, God. He goes, no, you got to give me everything. If you don't lose your life, you'll never save it. If you save your life, you're going to lose it what Jesus is saying. Here, here's another thought. I want to make room for Jesus. Okay, I'm going to give him my everything. Second thing is I want to start every day alone with Jesus. You know why I spend so much time with my wife? It's because I love her with all my heart. You measure a love for someone by the time spent with someone. Listen, how much time do you spend 
with Jesus. It will say how much you really love him. What would it look like? And I talk with people all the time. Our prayer pastor, Mark Jones, texts me almost every morning about this one thought. I talk with people that are struggling with life. They're challenged. They're depressed. They're, they're having anxious thoughts. And he says, well, if you just spend some time with him, you'll be better. And just go, it can't be that simple. It is. Talking with a couple last night and just talking with different people that go through these challenges. They say, when I finally get to this place where I just spent time with him, everything else grows so strangely dim. When you study brain science, you, you can actually see from a medical standpoint that when you start your day with Jesus, there's actually a release of oxytocin that comes into your brain that begins to eradicate and dissolve all kinds of toxic thought clusters. Things that are binding you, fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, depression, addictions, and you're spending all your life trying to get a fix. And it, it actually shows you that when you stop, even if it's your Bible and a cup of coffee and you're just sitting there and you just, you're just with him, there's something actually medically that happens. These oxytoxins begin to dissolve fear and anxiety and worry and doubt and all those things. And all of a sudden what, what happens, God made you this way. We see it in the natural. He says, listen, Psalm 94 says, spend your morning with him and he'll release his steadfast love in you. And what happens is all of a sudden these oxytoxins are released and all of a sudden your fear's gone and it's just kind of like peace, joy, love, hope, faith. I'm so glad, God, I made room for you because now my heart I feel better. The funny thing about it, you're the benefactor of it. He's just the dispenser. It's just what he wants to do because he's a, a good, good father. Here's another thing we can do. If we want to make room for him is remove anything that's displeasing from your heart. It's so easy, guys. Come on, can we, can we be honest for a sec? It's so easy to allow certain behaviors and thought patterns because we're so immersed in it in our culture. We no longer even think that it's sin. Pornography, lust, greed. I mean, let's just go down the line. It, we allow it so much, it, it no longer even affects us, we don't think. Jesus said something like this. He's pretty good about it. He says, listen, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now that's a radical thought. Your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He said it would be better for you to go through life, one-eyed willy, going with one hand cut off than it is for you to continue the lifestyle that you're living now. So can we come to this place too where we just, Listen, if I was to invite you over to my house today, say, hey, why don't you guys come over for dinner? You can be rest assured my wife would have that house clean. Why? Is because she wants to represent us well to you. But see, we, 
we allow Jesus to come into his heart, our heart, it's just full of dirtiness and mess. We'd never do that with a stranger. Why, why would we allow that with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? God, help us in the midst of this broken, dysfunctional society to come to the place where we say, I no longer am gonna tolerate a thought life like that. I'm no longer gonna tolerate behavior like that. I'm no longer gonna live with this kind of sin or this kind of addiction. I'm gonna pull it out so that Jesus can come in to every part of my life. It's not like, hey, you can come into my closet, but you can't come into my bedroom. Hey, you can come over, but don't open the door to the laundry room. That's where he wants to start. Come on, smile at me if you're getting something on this. Come on. We're, we're talking about making room here. Here's another one. I'm almost done. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead every aspect of your life. Listen, he doesn't just want to hang out with you for coffee. If you do that, awesome. I mean, I want to start my morning with him. But I want to go all day recognizing that he's not coming along with me, I'm going along with him. I'm not asking God in my prayer time, God, you come and bless what I'm doing. I'm saying, God, help me to do what you're blessing. Let me be led by you, God. Let me understand what you're wanting me to do, where you're wanting me to go, what you're wanting me to give, where you're wanting me to serve, how you want me to handle the situation, what you want me to say to this person. I mean, you live every day, you might sound like a madman talking all the time, but listen, I talk to God all day long. God, help me with this, help me with that. I just, I'm not smart enough, quick enough, fast enough to do what I'm doing. I just need to have him lead me. He leads, I follow. It's not like, hey, why don't you come along with me today, Jesus, and you just kind of watch what I'm doing. I remember when my kids were little, you know, we went to Disneyland, and my one daughter, Elisa, we'd gone a couple times before, and, you know, you always pull up the map and wonder, you want to go to Tomorrowland or, you know, Frontierland first? And she says, oh, come on. She says, I'll go ahead and show. She says, I know everything about Disneyland. It's kind of like my little kid going, okay, we'll, we'll follow you. You know, it's just, see, that, that works at Disneyland. Don't work in real life. Come on, God, you just follow me right now. Come on. I know everything about life. I know everything about relationship. I know more than you do about relationships and marriage, and I know a lot more about finances, so I'm going to do it my way. And so all of a sudden, we just go, you just tag along with me. That isn't how it works. That's why Paul gives us the admonition, Galatians 5.16. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life so that you will not give in to the sinful cravings of, of your life. He says, don't do that. Here's another one. Talk with him often. Not just let him lead you. Talk to him. Listen, he's there all day, every day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. He's always there with the right answer. He's a perfect counselor, a helper, an ever-present help in time of need. He's your high tower. He's your refuge. He's your strength. He's your protector. He's your peace. He's your joy. Whatever you need in that moment, you've got to come up and you've just got to say, God, I need this. Or can you help me with this? Talk to him all day long. You're having a challenge at work. Then go find the closet and say, God, I need you. And he'll talk to you. We do it with our cell phones. We all know who Siri is, the cute little girl on an iPhone. Right, so you're sitting there and you just, 
You're trying to figure out stuff and you're going, okay. Come on, help me to overcome temptation. How do I overcome temptation? Checking on that. Okay, I found this on the web for how do I overcome temperature. Temperature. Thank God she's not Jesus. How about this one? How do I better my marriage? Okay, I found this on the web for how do I better my marriage. That's good. How do I love Walter more? Okay, give me a moment. Okay, I found this on the web. If she knows how to love Walter more, how much more does Jesus know how to love Walter more? And listen, we do this all the time in life. Oh my gosh, what do I do? I got to Google. How about take out the oogle part and add the D part and go to God instead of Google? I mean, just start asking God, God, speak to me, help me. I'm making room for you. I knew we were going to get somewhere at that point. Come on. Let me just bring this last point. We're going to close. Most important. How do I make room for him? I'm forever grateful that he came to make room for me. Come on, guys. We live in such a self-centered, narcissistic world that somehow we have the audacity to believe that we're going to invite him into our world? That, that, that's what's so important about this season is just stopping and saying, wait, God made room for me. He stopped time. He looked down upon us recognizing that there was no hope to bridge a gap between us and God to have a relationship with him. So he sent his son to come down and to go into a manger, to be born into a poor family so that he could make room for you. God, help us. God, forgive us. God, let us come to this place. Lord God, come on. Let me me finish where we began. God, I'm making room this season, this holiday. God, help me. I am making room for Jesus to be my first, my all, and my everything. If we can just do that, I promise you, fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, hopelessness, they fade away. Jesus comes because you made room for him you close your eyes, bow your heads. Father, you come right now in this season, this moment. Father, let every person that hears my voice in this room, online, anywhere in the world, Father, just push everything to your feet. God, we put everything at your feet that displeases you. God, we don't want to be the innkeeper. We don't want to be King Herod. God, we don't want to be the religious people or the crowd. Father, we want to be like Mary. We want to ponder you in our hearts. So, Father, come today. 
God, you touch every life here. God, we just open up our hearts and say, Lord, we're making room for you in this season. God, we want all of you. We want you to be our first, our all, and our everything. You agree with that prayer? Give Jesus one big shout this morning. Come on, amen. Amen, amen, amen.